Father, we do pray that you would be honored and glorified, that you'd be blessed uh, in our words and our hearts, that our thoughts would be glorifying to you and that what we share would be glorifying to you. And I pray as we come and look into your word now that you would help us to understand your instruction on how to, uh, as we'll see today, to abstain from certain things, that uh, you would be glorified in our response, you would be glorified in our lives. And Lord, help us to learn and be instructed so that we would not uh, dishonor you through our actions. Lord, I ask you to bless our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I sent out an email to our body warning uh, parents that uh, this message is not suitable for younger children. Um, and that would include young teens, I would say. It's up to you, your discretion as parents. Um, if you're a young teen and you uh, start to hear things you don't think you should hear, just go blah, blah, blah for that moment, okay? <laughs> But uh, this is going to be a message that has a lot of, uh, of uh, information that is for really adults. And so with that in mind, parents, please, please guard your children. Guard your children. It's a time to take them out into the other room. If you're listening online, have them draw Bible pictures or read their Bibles, whatever it is, you know, but uh, please don't let them uh, listen to this. Well, we live in a society that is bombarded with images. You can't go through the checkout line without uh, uh, seeing images. Uh, read a magazine, watch a commercial, walk down the street. We are bombarded with sexual images and innuendo. And certainly the Internet has contributed greatly to this. Uh, think about even the Super Bowl. When you have to guard for the commercials with your remote to turn them away, uh, things have gotten bad in our society concerning the uh, proliferation of sexual uh, innuendo and outright sexuality. Now, when it comes to this idea of uh, sexuality in our society, we understand that Romans declares that the unregenerate society in chapter 1 is going to spiral into sexual idolatry, uh, that the rejection of God, uh, and then within that they will spiral, giving hearty approval for their degenerated desires. Now, we know that we are a Christian country, and our country has had, has had uh, Christian foundations, and so we've been protected from a lot of this for a long time, but... Lately, our country is spiraling in immorality. It's quite evident. Uh, just the Internet alone, the amount of pornographic sites and the amount of hits on those would be staggering if you were to look at the data. It, it, is, it is absolutely an issue for mankind, for mankind. So with that in mind, as believers, how can we live a life that excels still more in Christ? And more specifically, how can we have victory over sexual sin? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. Now I want to share some context for the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the Apostle Paul um, had been with them for three weeks sharing the gospel. They'd come to faith. He'd been run out of town, and, and while he was in Athens, he was concerned about them. He sent Timothy back to see how they were doing as to the faith, to strengthen and encourage them. 
Timothy comes back and gives him, while he follows in Corinth, a good report that they're doing well, their faith and love, and that they desire to see the Apostle Paul. They have an affection towards them. And so this letter is a response to Timothy's good report. And it is written sometime around the spring of 50 A.D. Now, this church is less than a year old in the faith. And we're going to see today the Apostle Paul reminding them of things that he taught them back in the first three weeks of their salvation. Now, in chapter 1, we have the testimony of the Thessalonians' conversion to which the Apostle Paul shares his thankfulness. Uh, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That the gospel came with full conviction and with power, and how they had turned to God from idols, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that salvation that happened with the Thessalonians was broadcast all throughout. All the believers had heard about it. And then moving into chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, begins to defend the manner in which he came to the Thessalonians. And within that defense, we see his heart and we see where his ministry was truly at. Indeed, it appears that Satan, using wicked men, were trying to tempt these Thessalonians not to see the Apostle Paul correctly and thus to discredit the word that had come from him. Yet in light of Satan's strategy... Of slander, Paul defends himself in chapter 2 and he shares that he and his companions imparted the word from right motives and they imparted their lives and he reminded them to go unto right behavior for, for that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then we saw in chapter 13, we saw in chapter 13 how the, uh, how we are to grow in our relationship with Christ. How so clearly it is God's word that uh, the Thessalonians received. And they received it as God's word. And Paul rejoiced in that and gave thanks. And it's the same word that performs its work in you who believe. And that work was evidenced in the reality of the fact that they had been persecuted initially. And then that they had gained eternal relationships And then we came to chapter 3 where we saw Paul relays how Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage them as to the faith. And he received back from Timothy the good news of their faith, that they're standing firm in Jesus and their love for each other, and that they had the right attitude towards the Apostle Paul and longed to see him as he longed to see them. And then we saw that the Apostle Paul, within that great comfort and encouragement of that good report, shares and can't, can't stop thanking God for the joy that was brought through this good report. And he reveals he's been praying for them day and night that he might see them to complete what is lacking in their faith. But within that, only the Lord is the one who can cause them to increase and abound in love for one another and to be established unblameable when Christ comes. So now we come to chapter 4, in which the Apostle Paul begins to shift gears. And he begins to exhort these Thessalonians to walk or to excel still more in their walk with Jesus Christ. And he's going to exhort them to excel still more in their walk in regards to purity and then to love. But today we're going to look at that area of purity. Where we're going to see how we can have victory over sexual sin. Maybe you are a true believer, but you are caught up over and over again in pornography, whatever it might be, 
and you hate it. You want to be set free, but you are not set free. How can you have victory over that? How can you have victory over lustful thoughts? How can you have victory over the actions that might come from those things? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's go back to verse 1. We did do 1 and 2 in part of 3 last week, but we will review that and walk through our passage. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commands we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion as like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but rejecting the God who gives us his, his Holy, gives his Holy Spirit to you. So then, now you know why I said that young children shouldn't be here today, right? But the reality is, some of you might be saying, hey, I don't have any problem with that. I don't struggle with sexual impurity. I don't struggle with that. And maybe that's true. Praise God. However, Scripture is clear. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Let him who stands, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now, not only should we take heed in this area lest we fall in this area, I believe these principles will also benefit us in our overall struggle with the flesh. Same principles as we're going to see. So how can we walk in sexual purity? Remember we saw last week that we need to keep receiving biblical instruction on how to walk and please God and then excel still more. Verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You might remember we saw the Apostle Paul is requesting and exhorting in the Lord Jesus, these brothers and sisters in Christ, that as they had received instruction on how to walk and please God, that they should excel still more. They were to excel still more. The term excel means to abound more and more. To abound more and more. And in the context of that, it's in their walk with Christ and then from a heart motive that is to please God. To please God. And we know that it is only by faith, we saw this last week, that we can please God. And the Apostle Paul is requesting and exhorting that they excel still more in their walk with Christ and their desire to please him, all in the context of faith. And he says, just as you actually walk. They were following the Lord. They were obeying. They were obeying. 
Amazingly, in the short time the Apostle Paul was with them, less than three weeks, he not only shared the gospel, he also taught them how to walk or to live pleasing God, and they were. That's quite amazing. And how do they do it? He reminds them it is through receiving instruction from the scriptures in the context of faith in the Lord. Receiving instruction is a key to growing in your relationship with Christ. But as we saw last week, there are some prerequisites. Some prerequisites. You can receive instruction all day long, but if your heart is not right, whether you're not saved or if you're saved and you've got sin in your life, you're never going to respond. You've got to confess sin and set it aside, knowing God will forgive you, and then receive his word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So then the way we grow is letting God do his work through his word by his spirit as you have received instruction from us on how you ought to walk and please God. And notice they were given commands. These pagans who were caught up in idolatrous sexual sin before they came to Christ, they were given commands right away. Verse 2, you know what commands we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we gave you. We gave you some commands. Now, we're going to see that those commands here he'll talk about had to do with sexual immorality. You see, when they came to faith, the Apostle Paul instructed them in how to walk and please God, and it does not please God to continue in the sin that you were saved from. And it's apparent that they were walking and pleasing God, and they were excelling in that, but they were to excel even more, and so are we. And then we saw, in the context of receiving his words and his commands, that we must keep remembering what God's will is for us, specifically that we are sanctified, and here, even more specifically, that we abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's desire. The term will speaks of that which he desires or determines to do. And his will is found in his word. That's where he gives it to us. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. And he says, your sanctification, pretty clear. Speaking of being set apart, being set apart to God from sin. That's what God does. When you come to faith, you're initially set apart, having been forgiven all your sins. And then God begins the process of separating you from sin all the way to glory. This is the will of God, your sanctification. But notice he then says specifically one area. Right here we're going to see that it's sexual immorality, but then later on he's going to talk about love. For this is the will of God. He's expanding upon what he shared earlier, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the term sexual immorality comes from the Greek word porneia, and it's literally in the Greek, the porneia. It's a concept in a sense. Definite articles are a little bit different in Greek than they are in English. And it initially spoke of the hireable one. That's what it means literally, which spoke of a prostitute. It eventually came to signify all different types of sexual immorality, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, pornography, pedophilia, whatever it might be, any type of sex out of God's gift of sex in the marriage relationship. Now, Satan always just twists and distorts 
and destroys what God created for good. Satan always does that. Remember that God created sex, not Satan. And then within the marriage relationship, it is sanctified, holy, and honorable. Don't forget that. Because the, 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 the junk in the world stains the reality of what God has done. It is sanctified, holy, and honorable in the marriage relationship. And God even applauds or commands husbands and wives to engage in this. And I'll talk about that in a second. There's no stuffy Puritan view of this in the context of marriage if you read Song of Solomon. Indeed, in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, God is speaking to Solomon and his, his, his wife, eat, friends, drink, imbibe deeply, O lovers. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have the Apostle Paul's instructions for husbands and wives in the context of, of God, obviously, through his Spirit, inspiring the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. And it's apparent that quite possibly husbands and wives were using this as a battering ram to manipulate one another in holding back whatever it might be. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop, it's a command, depriving one another, except by agreement, for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, certainly Paul is speaking in the context of a loving, willing, right marriage relationship, okay? That's what he's talking about. Sex in marriage is honorable and undefiled. The New King James translates Hebrews 13.4 this way, and I prefer it, even though I'll share the NSB later. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. The marriage bed is undefiled. God says so. God says so. So then back in our passage, we come to the reality that we in a fallen world, cursed and then, and then it, it, controlled by sin, we who have been delivered by that but yet have not had our bodies redeemed yet come into conflict with our old desires before we came to Christ. That don't go away, those temptations don't go away, but we need to learn something. He says it's God's will, our sanctification. That is, we abstain from sexual immorality. The word abstain means to hold oneself from, to keep away from. And it's in the middle voice which emphasizes the subject's personal uh, interaction and participation. Hold your, sometimes in the middle voice, but you'll add the yourself in there in the middle voice. Hold yourself from abstain hold yourself from sexual immorality for this is the will of god that you do so this is god's will for you now by the power of the holy spirit men stop lusting at scantily clad women stop looking at pornography over the internet stop watching those tempting tv programs Women stop watching lustful soap operas, reading steamy romance novels, fantasizing about how much better this life would be with someone else other than your husband. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is God's will for you. Stop. Stop. Don't do it. Abstain. Abstain. We know that our lust wage war with our souls. When you give in to your lust, there is a battle that begins. It wages a war. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And within that, we're going to see that we must not be conformed to those former lusts that were ours in ignorance. The Thessalonians didn't understand that it was so evil and wrong. Now they do. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. That's pretty clear. Don't let your mindset be conformed back to what you, the way you used to think and thus act. Look at chapter 2, verse one or 11 in 1 Peter. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, this is not our home. We are temporary residents. Aliens and strangers to what? Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Our souls have been redeemed. Our flesh hasn't. When we give in to those lusts, we start a battle inside that we cannot win. Only Christ can win it, as we will see. So then, we need to recognize that God is going to give us instruction on how to do so. We need that instruction on how to walk and please God, especially in this area. We need instruction. If you are bound up and caught in this and you are a true believer, you need instruction on how to truly walk and please with God in this area. And that's what we're going to say. And that instruction begins with the, with the command to abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from it. Turn away from. Keep away from. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Some of you might be saying, that's what I want to do, and I can't stand it when I fail, whatever it might be, whatever you're saying. But I can't help keep failing. I can't help it. How do we abstain? Well, first of all, we must remember, it is God's will for you. So the whole power of heaven is on your side if you choose to obey God in his will. It is his will. If you ask according to his will, what does he say? You have the answer. It's his will for you to abstain. You want help, he's going to help you. But he helps through the means of instruction being applied to a heart that is submissive and willing to do what God says. So how do we do it, practically speaking? I want to obey, I want to do the right thing. How do we apply his strength to help us? Again, as I just mentioned, it's through receiving from a heart level biblical instruction and allowing God through that instruction to direct your heart and mind and change your actions. We're going to see in that biblical instruction, first of all, that we need to know how to properly possess our vessels. And then secondly, we need to be warned about what happens when we don't. The instruction not only considers instruction on how to do the right thing, it gives instruction on what happens when we don't and be warned about that. We need to hear both. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, we need to keep applying to our hearts biblical instruction regarding sexual purity and then abstain. Look at verse 4 as we really begin our passage here. That each 
of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's going to say abstain, and he explains that. This is what I mean. This is the instruction on what you are to do to abstain. Here's the biblical instruction. He says that each of you, notice each one, no exclusions, no exceptions. Your temptation is not greater than anyone else's. No temptation has come upon us except that which is common to man, and God is faithful who will provide a way of escape that we may endure it. There is no child of God who is exempt from this command. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now I think it is marvelous when you study this to think about how the Spirit of God inspired Paul to use certain words here that are extremely helpful in us understanding what's going on and how to do it. What do I mean by that? The term vessel speaks of a container. It speaks of our physical bodies. It is what our bodies contain. Well, or what does our body contain? Our spirit, right? Apart from the spirit, the spirit apart from the body, the body's dead, right? The vessel is our body. And in the believer, we have a redeemed spirit. Although the body is not redeemed yet, or glorified yet. Thus the body, thus the body is at our redeemed spirit's disposal and not the reverse. It's the vessel. It's not the controlling element. It's the vessel. It's simply a vessel. And within that, he also notices he uses the word possess. That each one knows how to possess his own vessel, his vessel, uh, in sanctification and honor. The term possess means to procure something for someone's, for, for oneself. To procure our bodies for a certain purpose. To possess for a certain purpose. We'll see in a moment that the scriptures reveal that we are to control how our vessel is used Because as believers, we've been freed up from the bondage of sin. We can now choose to offer our vessels to God or offer it to sin. You see, even the terminology reveals that in Christ you have his power over this. You see, it's simply a vessel. It's not you, it's your outer man. The inner man is you. It's a vessel. It's a vessel. And so then that each of you would know how to possess his vessel, his own vessel in sanctification honor. Now, just really briefly, I, I cut down how much I was going to share about this, but there are some interpreters that interpret this, I believe, very wrongly. They would say, because of First Peter talks about the woman as a weaker vessel, just using that terminology, that he's talking about how to possess your wife. That's not what this is saying. The context does not allow for this. When we look closely, he's not talking about possessing your wife properly. He's talking about controlling one's own vessel. One's own vessel. That's the context. That each one possesses his own vessel. And the idea that we have a vessel, it's our body, right? We're to know how to procure or control it in a manner that is specific. 
We are to know how to procure a vessel for, or in the area, in sanctification and honor. That's what we're supposed to do. That each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That's the way in which it is to be used. That's the way in which you are to have your vessel used. This is your outer man, your flesh. The term sanctification, we've seen already, means to be set apart. It can be translated holiness. The term honor speaks of ascribing value or worth to something. So we are to know how to possess, that means to take control of our vessels, our human bodies, the temporal shell in which we dwell, right? (laughs) In a manner that is set apart from sexual sin and is honorable and of worth. We're to know how to do it. We need to know how to do it. Folks, it is dishonorable and sinful to indulge in sexual immorality. We are to know how to take control of our vessels so that it will be used in a manner that is honorable and set apart from sin. That's what he's saying. This is the teaching. Now, the verb translated to know comes from the Greek word oida. It speaks of coming to a perception or realizing something. It speaks of understanding or comprehending. That you would understand and comprehend from God's word how to rightly possess this vessel in sanctification and honor. Not, as we'll see, in lustful passion. The implication throughout this is in Christ you have the ability to make those choices. As we will see. So folks, let me ask you this question. Are, are, are bodies redeemed? No. Is our inner man, our spirit, our soul redeemed? Yes. We have redeemed minds, but not redeemed bodies. But our bodies are at our disposal. But if you rely on them or you allow the impulses of your flesh to control, you will fail. If you yield over to your flesh, fleshly desires, you will lose every time. If you make a system, you know, this is why I couldn't stand some of those ministries that came out for men, you know, the whatever it was called, man pleasers. I don't know, maybe that's what it was, but uh, some type of ministry where they made lists of things. I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to... No! I need to know from God's word who I am in Christ and the power that I have in me by trusting him and relying on him how then to possess my vessel correctly. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Him or got it right. Yet the redeemed mind can now choose to believe the truth of God and then trust in the God of the word and be led by the spirit rather than the flesh. It's a choice. And if we fail, we confess and we start over again, right? Let me illustrate. Let's take a look at some passages. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to illustrate this. You're going to see that everything stems from our thought life. And non-believers have no power over, over uh, their flesh because that's the mode in which they live. But we are not of the flesh, we are of the spirit, so we don't have to live that way anymore. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 17. I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Hey, this sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Don't walk like non-believers. And notice what he says. In the futility of their mind, that means the, the, the emptiness or, 
or, or lack of any value of their mind, of their thinking, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Notice it's all heart, heart, mind, heart, right? And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to what? To sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But Ephesians, believers, you didn't learn Christ that way. You didn't come to faith and learn that you should be living this way. No, it's the opposite. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. You're not to live the way you used to live. You're to have a changed mindset towards the reality of who you are in Christ now, and thus his power for you to then do what is right because you're in Christ. We've been looking at the book of Romans on Wednesday night, and Kelly read this earlier. But because we have union with Christ, we are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. Sin no longer has the power over me it had before. I do not have to yield to my vessel's desires. I must procure it for holiness and sanctification and honor instead. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Therefore, because we're dead to sin when we abide in Christ, we're dead to the power of sin when we're abiding in him because he died to sin. Therefore, he says in 6.12 of Romans, do not let sin reign or have dominion in your mortal body. That's your vessel, right? That you should obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body. That's your vessel as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is instruction that will help us when we are tempted and ready to fail. Colossians chapter 3, we're to set our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. And because we have died with Christ and we've been raised with him, we are to consider... Colossians 3, 5, the members of our earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then he talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians chapter 3. Everything stems from our thought life. And the key is knowing, knowing how to do something, and thus in the context of faith, acting upon those truths, in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. Thy word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. I'm going to hide his word on how I should respond in terms of my, my vessel. It's the truth that sets me free. We must know how to possess our own vessels in sanctification and honor. If we don't know how to do that, we will fail every single time. That we know how to do it. So how do we do it? How do we offer our vessels not to sin but God? We need to give over control of our vessel to him. We need to give our controls, we'll see. Over and over again on a daily basis and not give control to our flesh. 
This is what Romans 6 and 7 are about. Who's going to set us free? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we recognize when we're tempted and we allow our vessels, when we recognize and we are tempted to allow our vessels to be used for dishonor and sin, when we recognize God is faithful and will deliver us, if we turn to him, we don't have to yield to that anymore. We are not bound by what we were before. We can offer ourselves to him instead. But we have to change our minds and we have to understand who he is and the power that he will exhibit in us when we trust in him to do what is right. Indeed, Romans chapter 12 is very clear that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, acceptable, which is our spiritual service of worship. We're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed for the renewing of our minds, that we would prove or demonstrate what is acceptable, good, and perfect. We would prove his will. Because we are truly dead to sin and alive to God, we can offer our vessels to God instead of sin. We have to understand that. He's in essence saying, don't let your body control you. Control it in Christ. Know how to possess your vessel in the two spheres, holiness and honor. Know how to do it. Know how to do it. If you don't know how to do that, then you will never be delivered from sexual sin. If you don't know how to possess your vessel in sanctification, which means allowing God through his word to work in your actions and attitudes, offering yourself to him or abiding in Christ, trusting in him, walking by the spirit and not by the flesh. If we walk by the spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So then we need to know how to possess our own vessels. We're to be knowledgeable in the control of our vessels, which comes through reliance on Christ 100%. You trust your flesh, you will fail. Trust Christ, he is faithful. Now, we live in a society where the body and its desires are in control, right? That's what the world's about. But not so for believers, we are not to allow our bodies, our vessels, to control us like the pagans do. Notice back in our passage, verse 4 of First uh, Thessalonians 4. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. We had the positive, and now we have the negative we are not to possess our vessels in the context of lustful passion. We're not to allow the vessel to be possessed in that context. The term lustful passion, two words, literally speaks of the strong cravings of our desires. Don't possess your vessel via the strong cravings of your desires. If the strong cravings of your desires are controlling your vessel, you're in trouble. That's how non-believers live. Don't do it that way. And folks, I really don't think I have to explain this. We all know about the desires of our flesh. We're all tempted. And God is gracious. He's merciful. He understands that we are tempted. He understands. And he will come to our aid if we will come to him. He's gracious. And folks, when we fail in everything, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How amazing is that? 
So we are to know how to control our own vessels in sanctification and honor, not in the strong cravings of our desires. If the strong cravings of our desires are in control, our vessels are going to be used for that which is dishonorable and unholy. If I allow my desires to get in the way, my vessel will be used wrongly. If I allow God's will to control me rather than my will, then it's going to be used for sanctification and honor. So I need to make that distinction. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The term Gentiles was a slang term for unbelievers because the Jews were God's people, so they were God's people, and Gentiles were slang pagans. just came to speak of unbelievers who do not know God. They did not have a relationship with the living God. They did not know him. These were Gentiles here, these Thessalonians, who didn't know God, but now they know God. You see, when we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, we come into a relationship with the living God. We now know him, and he knows us. It's a relationship. Before coming to Christ, we were without God in the world, and we did not know him relationally, even if we knew of him. And so then, we're not to possess our vessels in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you wonder why the world is the world? Do you wonder why there's sexual stuff everywhere on TV? Why it's all over the place? Because that's the way the world lives, in lustful passion. That's how they live. Because they do not know God. Now, we have been blessed in our country, having been founded on Christian principles, that there has been restraint to that over the years, but that restraint is quickly being removed. It's like a pagan free-for-all these days, almost. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not to possess our vessels in a manner that is driven by lustful passion. Remember that. Do not control your vessel via lustful passion. Don't let lustful passion control your flesh. You've got to renew your mind and let God's will control it instead. It's like what we saw back in, um, in Ephesians. We didn't learn Christ that way. We're not to be like the Gentiles. We're no longer to live that way anymore. We're to allow the knowledge of him to permeate our hearts and lives and the knowledge of how to live by his will and how not to, to permeate our thinking. The key is knowing and acting upon biblical truth, instruction, receiving instruction from the heart level. Not just knowing scripture, but knowing what God is saying and receiving that on a heart level. Recognizing you don't have to sin. You don't have to be controlled by sin. You've been freed by Christ. You're living in the conscience of grace now. Even when you fail, you confess. It's God's grace. He's merciful. You're alive from the dead. Therefore, present your bodies as slaves of righteousness, not in lustful passion as those who do not know God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, stop offering your eyes to images, run away. Stop offering your mind to fantasies, renew with scripture. Stop offering your heart to lust. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Say no. In Christ, you do not have to offer yourself to that anymore, and you are not to. And when you do, confess immediately. Trust God. He is faithful. He will empower you. It is his will for you. He's on your side. 
to deliver you from temptation, he is faithful. We are not to be like those who do not know God. And there are many other implications in Scripture why we shouldn't offer ourselves sexually. I'm going to read one passage and then we'll, we'll uh, get, move on our, pas- our passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God's instruction is what helps me to then offer my vessel to him in a sense as a living sacrifice, to, to know how to control it in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. 1 Corinthians 6, and this is the Corinthians, they were very much caught up in sexual immorality before they got saved. 1 Corinthians six twelve. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do with both of them. I kind of go, hmm, but uh, we, that's eternity, right? Yet the body is not for what? Our body is not for immorality. We need to learn that. God did not give us our bodies for immorality. I'm going to learn it from instruction. But for what? The Lord. For the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but also raised us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You need to know this. I need to get instruction. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For the script, for he says, the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. There's instruction, isn't it? And he's going to give some instruction about the danger of this sin. It's different than other sins. Sexual sin is different than other sins. You need to get that in our heads. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you are, and you, whom, you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body. And the context is abstaining, fleeing from sexual immorality. That's the context. Abstain. Offer yourself to him. You're part of him now. You're in the body of Christ. Have you allowed your vessel to possess you? Have you yielded to your desires of the flesh? Have you felt a prisoner? That's what sin does. Confess and be forgiven. Praise the Lord. God is gracious. Be cleansed. And then know in Christ how to possess your vessel And don't allow it to possess you, in a sense. Our brothers and sisters, don't forget, we fail, but confess. We should be excelling still more. We are going to trip up. I'm not talking about tripping up in certain ways. I'm saying we are going to trip up in our thoughts and our minds, yes. But confess. We are to be excelling still more in how to walk and please God. Sexual sin does not please God. But offering ourselves to him in sanctification and honor does. So how can we have victory over sexual sin? First of all, we need to allow God's instruction to permeate our hearts that we would understand how rightly to possess our own 
vessels. Secondly, we need to be ever minded here, notice, of the implications and consequences of this sin. We need to think of this. We need to think of consequences and implications. Verse 6, And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, warned you, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Be ever mindful of the implications and consequences. That's instruction that will help me to make decisions. Notice sexual sin transgresses and defrauds brothers and sisters. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. The term transgress means to go beyond. It speaks of sinning against. The term defraud speaks of taking advantage, exploiting, or cheating somebody. Now, I think the illustration here is of a man taking another man's wife. I think that's the direct illustration in our passage right here. Direct illustration. That's adultery, and when that happens, transgression or sin is directly against the other person, and obviously their spouse. And you exploit or cheat them of their spouse. You defraud them, and certainly their spouse. No doubt about that. He's speaking to believers. This is serious. Sexual sin never affects just one person only. There are always those who are transgressed, defrauded in the matter. But you say, what about sexual sins of the heart that are not acted upon, at least with people? What does Jesus say about that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard it that it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has committed adultery with her, with her, the one he's looking at, in his heart. There is another party involved. Whether you know them or not, there's another party involved. Okay, it's adultery, but yet I didn't defraud anyone. It was only in my mind. Not true. Does your lust that is not acted upon with other people defraud and transgress anyone? Yes. Yes. We need to see this. We need to understand there is defrauding and transgression. We need to understand this. Certainly you rob and defraud your spouse. Your body is not yours. It is theirs in that context. 1 Corinthians 7. And if you are not married, you defraud and transgress your future spouse. And if you are single, not going to be married, you defraud the Lord. And don't forget, the person you're lusting over in your heart and mind, even in your private actions, is being defrauded or transgressed against whether you know them or not. We have to think of the consequences. Satan doesn't want us to think of the consequences. Follow your impulses, your thinking, just... No. We need to receive instruction and not reject it because there are consequences. Let me illustrate this. If you don't receive instruction, you're going to find yourself down the road saying, why didn't I? Why didn't I listen? Because there are consequences. Many a person who has fallen into sexual sin is not the least, being not the least mindful of consequences finds out later on after their family is destroyed, whatever it might be, that it all started with their eyes beginning to wander and not possessing their vessel in sanctification. 
and honor. If only he or she had valued and heeded the Lord's instruction before it was too late. Now, there may be things that aren't acted upon, but I'm sure if that's going on in your marriage, you've got a bad marriage going on. I'll tell you that right now. You've got stuff happening there. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. It's a long portion, but I'm going to read it because it, it really does flow into what I'm talking about. Proverbs chapter 5. And let's start, actually, let's start at verse 7. You could read the other portions earlier. It does apply, but there's just not enough time. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. There's consequences. Lest lest strangers be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your latter end, when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to instruction. I was in almost, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Listen to instruction that you would not be saying later down the road because of your sin, private or public, whatever it might be. He says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be diverse abroad? Should streams be in, water be in the streets? That's pretty vivid, by the way. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. And he goes on, and I don't need to read that. You can read that. But he says in verse 21, for the ways of a man, this is important, are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all their paths. Got to think about that. Got to think about that. And you groan in your latter end because you didn't listen to instruction. Listen to instruction, brothers and sisters. Paul is giving instruction here. Don't hate it. Don't Don't spurn it. Don't set it aside. Because the Lord wants you to know how to possess your vessel in sanctification honor. Because if you don't, there are consequences. Sin never is without consequence. Sexual sin always affects more than one person, even in the mind. So then, notice we also need to be warned. Because God is going to avenge. It's very serious. Verse 6, back in 1 Thessalonians 4. And that no man transgress his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. It's pretty serious. Speaking to believers, he says, don't transgress or defraud your brother in the matter, the matter of sexual sin, by the way. Because the Lord is the avenger. God will avenge how you have wronged. And for believers, God will discipline the ones he loves. Hebrews chapter 12. Remember David? David transgressed and defrauded Uriah and Bathsheba, didn't he? And he had Uriah killed. And the Lord was certainly the avenger of these things. God allowed his son to die. He lost, David lost his kingdom. 
The sword never left his house. What he did in secret, his wives would do in the open. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, and you can and, and he's a godly example, but in his failure, we see God's avenging. What about Hebrews 13? Hebrews 13. I'll read it for you. Let the marriage bed be held in honor, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If you're a believer, he's going to judge you in the sense of discipline. She wouldn't be condemned with the world. In the Corinthians, he judged some to death there, if you look at that. 1 Corinthians 11, we need to fear God. These sins are enough to condemn you to hell. We know in Ephesians chapter 5, for no immoral, impure person, covetous man, or idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ, of Christ and God. So believers, we're not to live that way anymore. We're not to live that way. Back to our passage. Did you notice Paul reminds them of something? He says, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, hey, first three weeks of their faith in Christ, God's going to avenge you if you do this. This is wrong. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do what you used to do. You're now in Christ. Don't do it. Serious sin that God will avenge. Just as we told you and solemnly warned you. We need to learn this. We need to understand this. We need to be instructed. Flee immorality. Know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor because when you sin sexually, you defraud others and the Lord will avenge. That's what it's saying. The next time you decide to glance a little too long, by the way, the Lord calls that adultery. Next time you daydream certain ways about certain people other than your spouse. Next time you decide to lust and act upon it individually, whatever it might be. Be mindful and warned and instructed of the consequences. Pretty heavy. Next time your body begins to take control of you or your lusts and desires control your body, that's what it says, don't let that happen. Know how to possess your vessel in sanctification. Know. And notice he makes the point, he reinforces his argument by reminding of God's ultimate purpose for believers. Verse 7, back in chapter 4. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. God didn't call you unto himself so that you could go out and sin. He called you that you would be set apart from sin, become more like Jesus Christ and glorified eventually. The for here is actually in the Greek is emphatic from two Greek words, for and therefore, which makes it emphatic. For God has not called you for the purpose of impurity. Everything we just talked about but in sanctification. You see, through the gospel, God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were saved and called by God with a holy calling, 2 Timothy 1.9. What does Peter say? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the instruction we need to run in our minds when our, when our desires are about to take over our, our vessels. Right? It's good for all kinds of different sin, right? The principles apply. First Peter verse chapter one verse fourteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the holy one who what? Called you. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. 
Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And in the context, it means allow yourself to be made holy by the Lord as you abide in him. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. God didn't save you so that you could sin. It literally is, God did not save you unto sin. He didn't save you unto sin, he saved you unto sanctification. Being set apart for him, a relationship with him. And notice the warning to reject this teaching would be a rejection of God, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8. Consequently, now this is three Greek words here, toigarun. It's basically because of the fact for and therefore, which means they translate it consequently, he who rejects this, which you just explained, is not rejecting man but God. You reject God's teaching that he hasn't called you into sin, you're rejecting not man but God. If you go to one of those churches that say, it's all fine, it's no problem, you know, God loves you no matter what, it's, it's just the way it is. No, you're rejecting God. Because God says something differently. He called us out of sin, and he did not call us to impurity, but to sanctification. Pretty strong. So we need to remember these strong words when we are tempted to allow our desires to control our vessels. Don't let your desires control your vessel. Let God's desire control your vessel. That's what you need to do. Don't let your desires control your vessel. Let God's desires control your vessel. That's the key. And notice, it only can happen with his spirit. Little statement, but with such power. We don't have time to go through it completely, but... The God, end of verse 8, who gives his spirit to you. You see, when we believed, we received the spirit of God as a pledge of the inheritance that we're going to have, the redemption of our bodies, the completion of the work on the cross, our glorification, completion of God's work completed, but what it would bring about in us in glory. And within that, we also were sealed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, God put his mark on us. We are his And he has poured out his love in our hearts through his spirit, which he has given to us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So then we are to glorify God with our bodies. You see, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit is the one who gives life and flesh profits nothing. You want to know how to do this? Rely on the spirit of God. Let God's spirit by his power enable you to think differently and thus possess your vessel in sanctification and honor rather than in your own wretched former desires. Not by might, or, but, or, nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4.6. Galatians 6.5.16, But I say, walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know what was the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe. It's God's will for us to be sanctified. So then, how can we have victory over sexual sin? Keep applying biblical instruction regarding this area and abstain. Know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Don't let your sinful desires control your vessel how you possess it. Let God's will and his ways control how you possess your vessel. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. We need it desperately because we are so sinful and one thought away from everything we just read. And Lord, you're so gracious to have forgiven us on the cross through through Christ on the cross. And we are those who live in the context of grace now. But yet it is not your desire that we should continue to sin. We should begin to cease from sin. We should become more and more like your son. You didn't save us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. Please, I pray that these truths that we've heard today would run through our minds when we are tempted to offer or to allow our sinful desires to control our vessels. Please, deliver us. That we would be those who offer them to you in sanctification and honor. Thank you for your word. And we trust that your son will lead us in walking in a manner that is worthy. That we would excel still more. Praise in Jesus' name.